Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about Anna Maria and the Fox by Liana De La Rosa. This was just published in 2023 and is the first book in the Luna Sisters series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy from Berkeley. So thank you, Berkeley. So uh, the book jacket. Anna Maria Luna Valdez has strived to be the perfect daughter, the perfect niece, and the perfect representative of the powerful Luna Familia. So when Anna Maria is secretly sent to London with her sisters to seek refuge during the French occupation of Mexico, she experiences her first taste of freedom, far from the judgmental eyes of her domineering father. If only she could ignore the piercing look she receives across ballroom floors and the austere, sorry, if only she could ignore the piercing looks she receives across ballroom floors from the austere Mr. Fox. Gideon Fox elevated himself from the London gutters by chasing his burning desire for more, more opportunities, more choices for everyone. Now, as a member of parliament, Gideon's on the cusp of securing the votes he needs to put forth a measure to abolish the Atlantic slave trade once and for all, a cause that is close to his heart as the grandson of a formerly enslaved woman. The charmingly vexing Anna Maria is a distraction he must ignore. But when Anna Maria finds herself in the crosshairs of a nefarious nobleman with his own political agenda, Gideon knows he must offer his hand as protection. But will this Mexican heiress win his heart as well? Um, I mean, I don't think it's incorrect. I do think that it takes a long time to get to that. He has to offer his hand in protection. That also real weird. The way that her familial situation is described is kind of strange. Like, yeah, she tries hard to be a perfect niece, but she doesn't really meet her uncle as an adult until they show up in London. Like, there's this book jacket. No, fuck this. This book is dedicated to oldest daughters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this book jacket leans more heavily into that theme and idea than the book did. That's fair. That's totally fair. Shall we talk about our our own summaries? Well, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50 and then generated our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, the number we generated was 7. Take it away, Lane. What happens in London stays in London. So and when it doesn't. No, it totally does. Please, everything <laughs> stays in London in this book. She shows up to London with a fuck ton of money, a secret, and a fiance. And by the end of this book, she's got one of those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Just uh, Okay, here's my summary. It's a slow burn, but it burns. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't inspired, okay. I don't really know that anything truly ignites in this book. <laughs> I, for me, it was, it, it was a really slow burn in my opinion, especially because the book jacket talks about them getting married. And so like, 
I kind of thought that was going to happen early on in the book, but it doesn't. That shouldn't be in the jacket. No, I don't think it should either. So, no. anyway, I had read the jacket before reading the book, and so I was I was waiting for this this thing that's in the jacket to happen, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting for a while though. As we've discussed, I know nothing about books until we start um, reading them and then do episodes on them. So I was in the dark and I was, we'll get to it. Okay. So I think the biggest trope in this book is they are bad for each other's goals. Oh yeah. It's not enemies to lovers, but like he, his goal is to gain political power to end England's involvement in the slave trade once and for all. At this point, slavery has technically been like abolished, but there's England is still participating in trade with other nations that participate in slavery. Anna Maria, on the other hand, wants to gain credibility for the Mexican government, which is currently being occupied by Napoleon. So she's like a controversial figure in London. Gideon feels like her controversy would cloud his political objectives because he himself is from a background that doesn't inherently get credibility from the important set. And she has a fiance back in London and she, no, sorry, she has a fiance back in Mexico and she's trying to put the best possible impression of Mexico forward in London. Allying herself with like a renegade MP is not necessarily the way to do that. So I think like overall, that's the like mismatch that drives the interpersonal conflict. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, as you mentioned, there's a trope that she is engaged to someone else. So there you go. It is a long distance relationship. I feel like we see this. Not, it's not uncommon. I agree. And then the trope you mentioned in the book jacket, marriage of convenience, is listed like it's the main trope of this book, but it is not. It happens, but it happens so late. When I want a marriage of convenience trope, I want them married and thereby fucking extremely early. Agreed. Um, trope, she's the good sister. Right? There, yeah. are, there are three sisters and she's the good sister. Which is both because she's been primed by her father for this, like, politically important distinction. Um, to the point that she has been sold as a broodmare to a guy that her dad thinks is politically important um but also she feels the need to like be strong for the two sisters who have also been transported across the atlantic with her that said i have several questions about the relationship between these three women yeah i i actually that was one of the things i liked about the book actually i needed a little bit more from who they were in Mexico. I uh -huh. feel like I got a lot of told but not shown that they'd never been close. And they start acting close immediately. And I know you could make the argument that the time they spent on the Atlantic crossing thawed some of the more chilly relations between them. But I ultimately felt like the way they were interacting was not people who had never trusted each other their whole lives. Like, I need a little bit more time opening up. They got 
too close too quick for me to believe that there'd been all this hostility. Yeah, I I believed it. I, okay. I'm sure I did feel like there was a lot of telling and not showing. I felt like that happened with a lot of the book, though. So, like, not just with their relationship. And so That's it didn't fair. strike me as as being specifically different there. I think I really love well-done, complicated sibling dynamics. And so when it feels a little bit ham-fisted, I'm very quick to be like, eh, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah. All right. Any other tropes? Oh, she has a secret identity, sort of. We kind of talked about it. But they're yeah, in love. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're under their real names. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to be. They're not hiding the fact that they're Mexican heiresses, right? Like, that's the whole point of them. There, there are two reasons why they're in London. One is to get them away from the volatile political um, situation in Mexico. And Napoleon! In London for their safety. And then the other reason is by participating in the London season, they can show people that Mexican people are, you know just as worthy of the support of English people as other Europeans. And um, so she's there to participate in London society and drum up support for the Mexican cause by being a, a beautiful Mexican heiress, basically. Right. The, the thing that they're hiding is their political connections. Right. And they're, they're hiding the, their, their actual identities, basically, so they won't be, like, kidnapped and held for ransom. Right. They're like, yeah, they're rich Mexican women. They're not disclosing that like the president knows them. <laughs> right, right. They're not they're not disclosing that they're the Secretary of State's daughters, basically. Right. Um, and then last, there is a whole lot of Gideon loves her because she's not like the other girls TM, which I guess is preferable to her feeling like she's not like the other girls TM, but which I hated. Yeah, I got a I got a lot of uh, I write text messages from Lane today. <laughs> Prepare yourselves. All right. So there's a lot of good in this book. There, there are a lot of good things about this book. There are a lot of things I really, really liked. I really enjoyed the multicultural cast. So like obviously Anna Maria and her sisters are Mexican. Um, their father is indigenous. And um, which was historically accurate, which I thought was actually really fascinating. I went down a whole rabbit hole of doing some um, investigation of the French intervention in Mexico <laughs> for a while after reading this book. Because I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I knew a little bit about it, but not a ton. Um, so anyway, I thought that was super fascinating. Um, that the whole historical context is just like something that it is happening during the romance novels that we read during the Regency, um, during the early Victorian era, right? That we don't read a lot of. I also thought this book did a good job of contextualizing historical events against one another in a way that you don't usually think about. Like, it's the same thing when you realize that two celebrities are the same age who you're like, what? Like Anne Frank and Queen Elizabeth or whatever, being because you think of them as tied to such different moments yeah. in history. I don't think of Napoleon III and the Civil War as being at the same time globally. Like th that just doesn't, they're two completely different epochs that I learn about completely separately. So the fact that it was all like interrelated, especially in a foreign policy sense, 
just I think doesn't occur to a lot of people in the same yeah. way that like I don't know I'm often stunned when I learn about what's happening in China versus what was happening in Rome like you just think of them so completely separately that this book like contexting contact providing context for the entire western hemisphere was fascinating yes yes <laughs> this was this actually reminds me this was hilarious so my daughter goes to a school that's um english spanish dual immersion and my husband is french and we try to raise her she also speaks french she goes to french school on saturday and um he's like really we both are trying to make sure that she feels a sense of like pride in her french background right <laughs> So in kindergarten, she had a lesson on Cinco de Mayo, which is the celebration of this completely unexpected victory of the Mexicans over the French, the French army, which at the time was like best in the world. And this like much smaller force of, of the Mexican army defeated them. <laughs> and this, this was during the pandemic. So she was... This is during the pandemic, so she was at home, and all of a sudden we just hear her crying in the kitchen. And we we're like, "What happened?" And she's like, "We read a book about Cinco de Mayo," <laughs> and she was like, "At first, she was like, oh, it's like there's about there are French people in the story. It's gonna be great.' And then no, they got defeated, and everyone was really happy, and it's Mexico's national holiday, and blah blah blah." And she was just like, <laughs> "Wait till she hears about the stuff America's done." Oh my God, I know. <laughs> I know. But you don't learn about that in kindergarten. I think that's the difference. Well, and if Florida has their way, you'll never learn about it at all. Yeah, well, we don't live in Florida, so. <laughs> anyway, I did think it was interesting to, to read about this thing that I knew about, again, very tangentially in uh, this romance novel. Um, I thought it was really well done. Honestly, I thought... I thought the history being woven in the historical context, as you say, was very well done here. And not ham-fisted at all. Not like at it, all. It left you curious so you could learn more if you wanted to. But for all that they were diplomats' daughters with these really deep understandings of global politics, you, were, as a reader, were not, like, given a history lesson. Yep. I It was really good, especially thinking of some other... Um, recent novels we've read that that tried to do a similar thing and didn't succeed quite as well. There is not a lot here. Like, you aren't learning from this book. This book is piquing your curiosity enough that if you are interested, you can go learn on your own. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, should we talk about Gideon a little bit? <laughs> so Gideon is a very interesting character. I, again, try not to judge historical romance on the basis of historical accuracy all that much. That said, I did find his character to be on the slightly implausible side. And I feel bad saying this. What would have made it plausible if the book had said he was white passing? I know. I know. So his grandmother was um, an enslaved woman, a black enslaved woman who um, escaped from slavery and came to the UK. Um, and it was heavily implied when she arrived in the UK, she was pregnant by her, the, the man who owned her. Right. 
So um, Gideon is an MP, he's a, me a member of parliament. He is a person of color and he's Roman Catholic. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, yeah. In the 1800s, just, there were definitely Catholics. There are still Catholics. Like, like I, I, I actually really understand why they, they, she included the part about Catholicism, which I thought was super interesting because it has to do, of course, with the Luna sisters' background, um, and why a match between Gideon and Anna Maria was maybe not as out of the question as one might think. At the same time, just all of these things together in one person, while I think made a very compelling character did make me think two or three times about okay and again i should i care i i don't know but this just all of these these three things together in one character i thought was pushing the borders of believability i agree i also think it's interesting religion isn't often mentioned in romance novels beyond the occasional mention of i went to church so he would notice me Mm-hmm. Or the occasional I'm corrupting this figure in the church. <laughs> yes. Or well, there was the one. So speaking of Catholicism, there was that Catholic marriage in a Duchess a Day. And they were like, they're like, Do you think they'll they'll say we're actually married? And they're like, I don't know, let's just do it anyway because I want to marry you. Not Catholic marriage. I'm saying the concept of like weekly attendance at church does not yeah. come up very often in romance novels. And I thought it was interesting that faith was such a pillar of both of their lives, especially Catholicism, which in this context would not have been like the most standard, like the, the majority of the population was not mm -hmm. Catholic right. in London at this time. That said, as someone with a lot of complicated feelings about the Catholic church in particular and religion in general, I don't really want to read about church in my romance novels, but that's just me. Yeah. I, I think for me, I understood it as an aspect of their compatibility, but Agreed. I mean, you're not wrong. Personal I, preference exclusively. I'm yeah, not like yeah, yeah. projecting that if, I understand that it was a part of the world and we probably see less of it than would have been realistic. Right. All right. Tell me more about Gideon Lane because I know you have other feelings about him. Gideon is a prick who could get fucked. Not literally. And here is why. Relatively early in the book, I'd say about the 20-ish percent mark, Gideon has already met Anna Maria. And he's already pretty infatuated with her. He's like, she is this gracious, beautiful, has handled society with a plum, clearly has like tragedy in her past she has overcome. Like he is just at sixes and sevens over her. And he runs into her in the park. They have a cute little re-meet cute in public. And he says, hey, save me the waltz. And I'm like, damn right you do. Damn right For you sure. do. For sure. And then he shows up and he's been looking for her and he's like, okay, I'm going to eye her because I got to make sure we got eye contact before we do this dance thing. And he's like, oh no, she's drunk. She's just like the other girls. How dare she? And I'm like, who the fuck are you? To be judging her behavior from across the room on the basis of her being like kind of tipsy. And then... He watches a man 
sneak Brandy into a cup and give it to her when she clearly couldn't see. So she's basically being roofied. And he thinks, that's shitty. Wonder if she knows that's happening. Well, if I walk over there right now, it could damage my reputation. So I'm just going to let her continue to get basically roofied. And then he thinks about how she's surrounded by all these unscrupulous men. And it's really, you know, a poor choice of hers that she's surrounded by all these people who can't be trusted around her drunk, who are getting her drunk. And then he overhears society mamas talking shit about how she's fast because she's foreign and she's drunk. And he thinks, do I dance with her and tell her they're fucking with her or do I just leave? And he ultimately decides to dance with her and tell her that they're fucking with her, but more from a place of like, have a care for your reputation. Then you should not be responsible for other people's behavior. And I want to look out for you because someone should. And in that moment, I hated him with every fiber of my fucking being. Like, I'm sorry, this is rape culture. Blaming women for the behavior of the people around them. Because even he's not thinking the problem is she gets drunk after two glasses of wine. He's thinking the problem is she's not in a position to protect herself from gossips and men. I have had wine tonight purely in protest of Mr. Gideon Fox being a fucking prick who can get fucked. (laughs) Did you end up liking him a little better by the end of the book? Yeah, honestly, I felt like by the end, that whole scene was kind of out of character. Mm-hmm. Like, especially as this man who, like, has never forgotten his roots and wants to, like, complexly understand other people in his life. Thinking that a woman being, like, moderately tipsy and being taken advantage of by the men around her was somehow a character flaw. Felt, like, really shitty in a way. Like, he did have an ego and he was kind of holier than thou, but not in this specific way. Like, it felt like she had to get this conflict in somehow, and it made him look, I think, a lot worse than she expected it to. I was really mad reading that scene. And by the end, I was like, okay. Yeah. It's it's actually really interesting because that scene didn't strike me, I think, the way that it struck you. (laughs) You, Because you mentioned it to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. But I... And I didn't, like, when I was reading it, I wasn't like, ooh, I love this. But I also wasn't like, oh, I hate this, you know? Look, I don't care what's historically accurate. Blaming women for the behavior of the men around them is going to be a button topic for me. And I don't know why it was in this book. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. From the hero to the heroine, as in, like, this is a reason to like her less. Right. And, and and the implication in the end is, oh, she was truly taken advantage of. So she's a good person, just naive. As if if she had had two glasses of punch knowingly, she was suddenly a bad person for talking to these men. Right. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about my summary. I felt like this was a really slow burn. Like, and I'm not sure how much of it was me reading the book and wishing they would get together or me having read the summary and, like, expecting something to happen that didn't happen for a while. But um, there, I wish they, I always wish this, right? In, in any romance novel, I wish there were more interactions between the two of them 
before they decide that they're well-suited and want to be together. And I felt like there was a lot of, we see each other at this ball, and then they go away, and then they run, run into each other at the park, and then they go away, and then they see each other at another gathering, and then they go to church, they see each other at church, but there's not a lot of interaction between the two of them, just them talking or dancing or walking in the garden or walking in the park. I, I wanted to see more of them together. As someone who didn't read the summary beforehand or the book jacket beforehand, I'd phrase it differently. The pacing of this book was weird. They, and I would actually argue that until they get married, the descriptions are extremely romantic, but almost asexual. Mm-hmm. Like the first mention of like him being hard or turned on or anything other than like doe-eyed about her is at their wedding luncheon. Sure. And she thinks briefly about like, oh my God, I've never been around a man who like makes me feel not just intellectually, but even like her body is kind of out of it until after they're married. And that's fine, but they know each other and they're flirting and it's not like high tension, like sexy flirting until pretty far into the book, like 60% is their first kiss ish. And mm -hmm. then they escape the house party and agree that they're, oh shit, spoiler alert. And then they escape the house party and agree to get married. And then like 15% happens between the escape of the house party and the wedding. And like nothing happens in the text in that 15%. It's just extremely strange how the pacing and how like their desire for each other was laid out. I wasn't expecting marriage any sooner, but it felt like the book like hit the gas and then hit the brakes so many times that I don't know that I needed more interactions. I needed more sexy interactions. I need a yeah, I mean, you're not more, like you're after not a wrong. dance sneak out onto a balcony. Yeah, you're you're not wrong that it it felt very chaste, like a very chaste courtship up until they get married, which maybe it works for them as devout Catholics. I I don't know, you know, as they're depicted in this text. But then like they get married and then it's the ending. Yeah, it's they get married very close to the end, so it was it was weirdly laid out. Like I really really enjoyed this book. Mm -hmm. The timeline was weird because you got way like the first couple of chapters when they are in a very chaste courtship happen over more time than you right. usually see in a romance novel. They go weeks yes. between encounters seeing each other. Yes, they do. Would it have been better um, if they'd been like writing letters during that time? Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying for me is why I want some more interaction. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because you're right. It would be like they run into each other here. They, they'd go weeks. It wasn't like the next day or anything like that. He, he never calls on her at her house, for example. Right. You know, because he's decided that he's not going to pursue her. Yeah, it was it was strangely paced. Um, I, I know we talked a little bit about the relationship with the sisters. That was something that I liked. So I did like that they weren't these, like, automatically these sisters who just loved each other and have supported each other their whole lives. 
Um, one of the things I did think was interesting that um, it didn't get, it wasn't like a huge emphasis in the book, but I did think was really fascinating was this idea of colorism between the family members. So um, basically there are the three sisters. Anna Maria is the good one. Um, the middle sister is like, actually, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't remember the order, but I believe that the middle sister is like the, um, the bookish like kind of shy talking, one. Yep. Isabel. And then the youngest sister is, you know, the pistol and she's the one who wants to break the rules a little bit and live a little. I think she's also like the stunner. Yes. The most beautiful one. But like, but Anna Marie is very pretty, but Gabby is like the stunner. Yes. But it's interesting because Anna Maria and Gabby are the ones who are the most white presenting right. and the middle sister, Isabel. Yes. So the middle sister, Isabel, she is also beautiful, but she feels and she's perceived as being not as beautiful as the others because she looks more indigenous. Sure. Mm -hmm. no, like I'm thinking London perceives Gabby as the stunner, Anna Maria as very pretty, and Isabel as the bookish forgettable one. Mm -hmm. The fact that there is so, colorism to that. Right. So I was. So I was going to say they fit this um, sibling order that we see in a lot of romance novels, right? Of the three sisters and then the good one, the bad one, and the bookish one, right? The redhead, the blonde, and the brunette. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> except for here, there's this 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 overlay of colorism that I thought was just really interesting um, take on it. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I, I like that part, too. So I just thought I would mention that. Yeah, there's also... This book makes you think about Spanish conquest of Central America and their mother is Spanish, uh, born in Spain, emigrated to Mexico as a child uh, or emigrated from Spain as a child and their father is indigenous. And so they are biracial, even though they are native Mexican, Spanish speaking yeah. individuals. <laughs> Uh, content warnings. Lane already talked um, at length about one of them. Rape culture. Yes. So that's there. Um, there is a kidnapping um, and some violence as well, like gun violence. And some rough handling of women and mm -hmm. some infidelity. Like, there's a lot of normalization of women are a commodity who are married off to appease their parents, and then their husbands are going to cheat, and they just have to take it. Right? Um, sexiness. I think we also actually already talked about this a little bit. It's it's very chaste up until they get married, and then it's explicit. Explicit. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was sexy, though. Yeah, I I I did. I did think it was sexy. Okay. But I think I liked Gideon more than you did. <laughs> so that may be part of the reason why. Just saying. I told you I, I got over it mostly. Yeah, mostly. Just like not in the sex not not in the bedroom. <laughs> I just didn't get their dynamic, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. I look, I'm really interested in this series um there was a lot that i really liked and i'm really interested in this premise so um and both of the couples that will clearly feature 
subsequently mm-hmm. in this series were extremely present in this text. And I am very invested in both of their dynamics already. Yes, me too. They're both like hate to love situations. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it should come as no surprise that I'm more interested in Isabel's. But at the moment, I'm very interested in Isabel's relationship. Mm-hmm. I'll just, I mean, I'm interested in it. So. Well, she might be a spy. She might be a spy. But not like, I don't think she has an employer. No, but I'm, I'm, look, I want to know more about Isabel. I want to know more about that captain. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. Just as I need pro tip for Liana De La Rosa. Do not have your hero blame your heroine for the behavior of the men around her again. Yeah, just... Don't do that, and then Lane will like probably really into your book. <laughs> yeah, like I like this a lot, but that that one sequence was like beyond distracting for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was. Otherwise, fun, cute, lighthearted. Like, there's no like secret darkness that we haven't covered. No, 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 no secret darkness at all. <laughs> it's all just <laughs> just out there. Uh, treasonous bastards. Yeah. I mean, again, you can't just be, you can't just be evil. You have to be a traitor. Trope. Correct. Thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet wherever you find plot trists.